Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, it is definitely a weird morning. It's, we should probably be building an ark. Um, it's just one of those days. But you know what? We need rain, and it's not a bad thing. This morning, we are going to start a new sermon series. And we are going to be talking about the core values that we believe in as a church and as a denomination that are found in the Holy Scriptures. Core values. What you believe determines what you value most. And what you value most is how you live your life. What you believe determines what you value most. And what you value most determines how you live your life. If I was to walk into your home to listen to what you talk about, if someone was to turn on your television, if someone was going to see how you spent your weekend, if someone was to open up your checkbook, if someone was to sit down and go out to coffee with you, those things that you are most excited about determines how you live your life. And there are seven core values that we hold to. And it's interesting, before we were ever a CMA church, we as a leadership team literally were living out these values. And once we became part of the CMA, it matched up so easily that it was literally a, a match made in heaven. And what I found so interesting about our core values and about the core values of the CMA is that here you had two different groups of people searching the Holy Scriptures and finding the very same thing. Literally, almost in order. That's the interesting thing. I actually was going to change the core values around to make them a little bit more smoother for everyone to understand, but, but when I thought back to the founding of the plant seven and a half years ago, I realized that we had to start with value number one of the CMA and value number one of what we had believed because that has always been the driving force behind who we are, what we believe, and honestly, what people know us most for. And so I want to begin with prayer because my prayer is this. This is my this is my holy uncture. Is that God would allow you this morning to take an inventory and over the next seven weeks of what you value. And for all of us, there needs to be a reshifting of our hearts, including moi. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you and I can honestly say that there are mornings when we walk into this building and, and we can feel the tension of the week of the children and all the things that have gone on through the school. But I could say this morning that the moment that I walked in, I sensed Your presence. That You are wanting to speak deeply to all of our souls. God, You have also brought visitors here from, from different places for, for a reason. And God, I honestly believe it's for them to be challenged. Not with whether or not they're going to be part of a, a new church, but whether or not they're going to value the things that You value most. 
And so I ask You, Holy Spirit, that You would just fill this room with Your presence. That You would fill my heart and my mouth with Your words. Not that they would be sophisticatedly put together, but rather that they would be simple and powerful. May Your Word speak life to us. And may our lives bring life to others. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, 1 through 10. Luke chapter 15. We find this passage of Scripture later on in Jesus' ministry. It's after a time of people watching and seeing and participating. It's after a portion of time where people really identified who Jesus was. It really was a point of time in Scripture and the Gospels when, when people were actually making a decision whether or not to choose to accept Jesus for who He is. And every time that you see later on in the Gospels, it's not oftentimes that people are hearing about Jesus' message for the first time. But rather, it's almost like a time of inventory. It's a time of challenge. It's a time that when people really wanted to be with them, that they, they weren't just going to hear Him in the crowds, but they were finding moments and glimpses of being with Him. To seeing that if, if what He was saying was truly who He was. Isn't that how people are? They love what, we hear, what they hear, but then they want to start investigating. That are, are you truly the person that you claim to be? Does your private life Does your life in smaller groups mimic who you are in the crowd, in the audience? And so it says here in Luke chapter 15, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he will, rejoice, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose Jesus goes into another parable, another story, another illustration, just to kind of push it a little bit further. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. 
Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angel, angels when even one sinner repents. It's interesting because when you look at this, just keep your eyes on the beginning of Luke chapter 15 if you, if you have your Bibles. It starts the story off with, with the people that purposely were gathering with Jesus. Who, who was purposely gathering with Jesus? Look at it. Who was it? Say it out loud. Tax collectors and who? Notorious B.I.G. No. The notorious sinners. It's making sure you're awake. And these were the individuals who were seeking Jesus out. These were the ones who purposely grabbed Him after the end of a teaching, after the end of a miraculous act, after an end of, of something and said, hey, come hang with us. Let's find some time. And so Jesus was, was with these people, tax collectors and, and notorious sinners. And, and as they were going to their place, some, some leaders, religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, scribes. Watch Jesus once again go with the wrong crowd. And at first, the, the, the Sadducees, the, the Pharisees, the Zealots, the, the religious leaders were, were mad at Jesus because, because they felt like they deserved His time. Right? They were the righteous. They were the holy. They, they were the well-kept. They, they had been doing everything externally right that demanded Jesus' respect. But Jesus always found Himself with others. But there came a point that at first they wanted to hear what He was saying, and then it shifted to actually use opportunities to accuse him. Accuse him of being a heretic. To actually what they were, were trying to make him be was the anti-Christ. Not the Christ. They wanted to show that, that he was wrong and that, that there was something that was not lining up with him and Scripture. But the problem was whenever he met with them, he only revealed more of himself and God's heart. It's funny, as you look at these two names, you look at tax collectors and, and notorious sinners. Here's the interesting things. Tax collectors were simply Jewish men gone bad. Gone rogue. They were. And the reason was, was they were extorting money from their Jewish brothers and sisters. They had to make a lifestyle. They were the financial advisors of the day. They were working for the Roman government. But they were paid so little that what they had done was they had made a deal with the devil. Rome. And they made a deal with Rome 
that what they would do is they would, were, had to tax a certain number, but then there was a range that they could overtax for themselves. And so no one liked the tax collectors. And yet Jesus made one of the tax collectors a disciple. Remember that? He made one of the tax collectors a Jew gone bad. That probably doesn't sound right, does it? It does not sound right. Don't put that on video. But he made him one of his disciples. His disciple was now a fulfilled Jewish man. Living in the fullness of what God intended. But then we hear the word notorious sinners. We think about prostitutes, right? Because we read about that in scriptures. We read about the adulterers because we read about that in scriptures. But do you know who they say some of the notorious sinners were? Those who didn't show up to the temple. I mean, think about that. Look at that range. Prostitute, adulterer, and the person who didn't show up on Saturday. And so this whole idea of, of this group of people, there was such a vast difference of who these individuals were. And the Pharisees were angry and resentful that for some reason Jesus spent more time with them than with us. The Holy Ones. Jesus knew their hearts. And we know that in Scripture there were times that Jesus read their hearts and then there were times that He heard their complaints. And Jesus always taught best through story. Isn't it funny how like you can watch a movie and that profound story can have such a huge point that someone who loves you very deeply has been trying to tell you for years that you just don't get I remember when my, my kids over Christmas wanted to watch Inside Out. That movie scared me. I heard too many wacky things about it. I was a wreck during Inside Out. I was broken. I was messed up. My wife and I actually went to The Rev- Revenant last night. Men, it was a rocky movie. Women, you probably don't want to see it. But there was a message even last night in a movie of two hours that was so powerful. Things that I've gone through that, that in a moment of two and a half hours of watching someone else go through it that I was able to embrace it. Like Rocky. I mean, I remember Rocky 1. I, I saw Rocky 1 over break the ending of it because it was on TV. And, and that speech, remember at the end of the, the Rocky 2 when he beats Apollo Creed? I'm crying. I'm crying. Rocky was speaking gospel to me. But Jesus gives a parable. Matter of fact, He gives actually three, but I only read two. And the first one, He talks about a man who loses a sheep. This was a man who had a lot of sheep. He had a hundred. He had a herd. In other words, what would He be then? A shepherd. A shepherd. And so in this, that He noticed that He had a hundred sheep and one was lost. And what did he do? We know the story. 
He left the 99 to find the one. He did everything humanly possible to find that one lost sheep. We have no idea the significance of that sheep, but that it was His. you got to say amen with that one. Because we are a room full of many different sheep. And this one shepherd, we'll call him a shepherd, did everything to find that one We don't know if it was the one that always kind of cuddled up. We don't know if it was the one that was better than all the rest. We don't know if it was the prized one because it doesn't matter. It was one of the hundred. And when he's found, he rejoices, he cheers, and he brings people in. And he says, just like this one that is found. all of heaven rejoices when there's one of these people in this room, tax collectors, or notorious sinners, is found. And he didn't stop there because he knew the makeup of the room. He knew his audience. It wasn't a one-size-fit-all. And he says, let me tell you another story about a woman. She had ten coins And one was lost. And when she recognized that it was lost, she searched the house. She swept the house. She overturned the house. She looked in every crack and crevice. And when she found it, what did she do? She invited her neighbors over for a party. And she rejoiced. And Jesus said, just like that one coin, one out of ten, when one of these, because that's what he's speaking to. I mean, we're going to relate it to us, but he's actually speaking to one of these, right? One of these. All of heaven goes ballistic. I think it's brilliant how Jesus uses these two examples. And here's why. The sheep is livestock. It was part of this shepherd's portfolio. You see, there was more to it if the this, if this sheep was lost. He not only lost the cost of a, one sheep, but he lost the ability for that sheep to reproduce. Because that sheep had purpose and life. That sheep was created for more than just to walk and eat and go potty. That sheep had purpose. And that shepherd knew that there was purpose that was wrapped in the being of that little sheep that brought life and joy to the shepherd. And then you have this picture of a woman 
We're told she only has 10 coins. That's her wealth. That's her portfolio. That's what she lived on. That was her investments. We don't know if she was married. We don't know if she's a widow. We don't know her story. But all we know is that there was a woman singular who had 10 coins. And when she lost that one coin, she did everything frantically to find it. It says in Scripture, for God so loves the world that He sent His Son not to condemn the world, but to what? Save. Rescue. Redeem. The number one value that we have held in our church when Sue and I started talking, when we invited Omar and Carrie into the conversation, and when we started to invite others into this conversation was lost people matter to God. Lost people matter. God. You see, those sheep, that sheep and that coin were a picture of an individual that was far from God. Far from God. People get lost for many different reasons. We are born lost. We are born into a sinful world. And when we see that, that the lostness began in the garden, when Adam and Eve chose to get lost... They chose to run from God. And what did God do in the beginning? He went after them to find them. And we see all throughout Scripture that God chased and haunted and hunted humanity down. People get lost because one, it's our humanity. Two is life has thrown them many curveballs that they choose that they're going to figure this out on their own. And have you ever tried to go on a trip without a map or a GPS? And life pushes people far from God. I mean, think about some of you who are older, who ki- whose kids are in their 20s and 30s. How many of your kids are far from God because of life has thrown them curveballs. Does anyone agree with me with that? That you have seen your children want to distance themselves more and get more lost in the woods because of life's circumstances. That's one of the scariest things about being a parent of teenagers is that there's going to be a day and that day is going to come September 1 when I send my first out to college. That I pray I know what happens. But I know life is going to be throwing my son curveballs. But I also know this, people also choose to be lost. Pride. Arrogance. 
and anger. What do you value most? I think the bigger question is, did you ever recognize that you were lost? Have you ever recognized that you were lost and God found you? Can you ever pinpoint a time where you were living in a life that you literally were far from God and you were just doing things on your own and then all of a sudden, God stepped in? And it's not that you found God, but rather God found you. I'll never forget one day I got a phone call from Sue. And I was working at Cornerstone at the time and she was frantically crazy. And, and we all know the voice of, of, a, of a frantic spouse. You know, whether just having a bad day, rah, usually a little bit louder, but when it's real, it's a little bit calmer, right? Okay, that's how we function. Ben had taken off. Ben was two years old and he went for a journey. I shared this story about four or five years ago. And Benny just went wandering the neighborhood. But this boy in our mind was lost. Jumped in my Impala, pretended like I was a cop, and drove about 150 miles per hour. And for 20 minutes, we searched the neighborhood and we couldn't find him. You ever have that feeling? Okay. 20 minutes feels like how long? A lifetime. And when we found him, he was playing basketball at his neighbor's. Seriously. But in that moment, there was nothing I would have done for that boy to find him. And I remember that in that moment, I knew that's how God searches for me. I want to show you a, a painting, matter of fact. A painting that someone gave me after I became a Christian. Because I recognized that I was lost and God had found me. I didn't find out and realize that I was lost when I was in college or seminary, meaning because some Bible teacher had taught me a, a certain form of, of theology. But I had recognized that in many ways, two things made me lost. One, life. It threw me some really bad curveballs. I can walk through them, but I won't. Two, there came a point that said, I want to be lost. I want to do things my way and I want to figure this out because I don't trust. The moment that I recognized that, that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit had found me, I recognized that I was a boy who was lost. And then I was found. And it was in that moment that I didn't even realize the theological training that God was doing in me. I was given a painting not too long after I, I'm walking around because not everyone can see. I was given a painting of a, a young man who was being hugged by Jesus. And the reason this person gave me this painting was if you see any of my high school pictures, this 
boy looks like me. And this person said that when I saw this painting, I had to get it for you because this is what God did. This is what Jesus did when He found you. Everything we do at the plant begins with a theology that we believe that lost people matter to God. The way we structure our church, the way that we structure our our discipleship program, the way that we do our services, the way that we do outreach, is all centered on lost people matter to God. And because they matter to God, they matter to us. But do you know what I've learned in this crazy 20-something years of journeying with Jesus? Is that the problem that most people don't value understanding the lostness of humanity is because they never recognized that they were once lost. And Jesus found them. Do you know when you think about evangelism and discipleship, and I'll wrap it up with this, is we also think that discipleship is it's primary one, right? Priority one. That's what God desires most is discipleship, right? Right? Is that fair? We want to get people to know the Bible. I had a vision one day of a, of a peach. It must have been the summertime. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit had said, the core of my heart is evangelism. And the fruit is discipleship. The core of God's heart is finding His creation that is far from Him. Because when they're found, what's produced? Fruit. Fruit. And too many churches believe the opposite. Once was lost, then I was found. I was spiritually blind, but now I see. When you recognize that you are lost, you will value reaching out to others who are now in the very same place that you are. Far from God. But if you don't recognize it, you will miss the heart of God. Amen.
May I make a true confession? Don't worry, it's nothing bad. There have been times that Omar and I have found ourselves in, in the office along with Jeremy thinking that there's so many other different ways that we could do church to appease people. There's so many ways that we can just kind of set up programs that just feed almost like candy the, the souls of Christians to, to make it bigger and flashier. But even this week we said no. We're going to teach people to be on mission. Because God was on mission and is on mission and will always be on mission. Until he comes back. Why do we do missional communities? Because missional communities focus on the mission of God. As we live in family and as we learn to worship together. Have you recognized that you're lost? Or are you here today and you are lost? Maybe you're a Christian and you are just lost. Maybe you're just far from God and you're lost. Today, Jesus is saying that you are found. I want to invite the band to come up and I want to invite Jeremy to come up. But I want to have a holy moment. I want to have a holy moment. I want us to do some soul searching. And I want you to ask God to bring you back to the place where He found you. That moment, that Holy Spirit Kairos moment where Jesus found you. And more than likely, it was because God put someone in your life. Do you know that? God put someone in your life. And maybe you've lost that heartbeat of, of really truly longing for the lost. This morning has to be a time of repentance. Maybe it needs to be a time of repentance for our church that, that God forgive us for, for other things that we value too much. Forgive us for the things that we've maybe been emphasizing a little bit more than other things. Maybe this morning is an opportunity for the beginning of the new year to resolve that the things that matter most to God are going to matter to me. And it begins by recognizing who you are in light of Him and your identity and then it flows from that. I'm going to invite everyone this morning to come up for communion. If you're a Christian, I'm inviting you to come up. And this is an opportunity of, of, of re-setting, re-posturing your hearts. Jesus, forgive me. I've allowed the things of the world to have more value than the things that you value most. Or maybe you're here today and say, God, I got lost again. I'm lost. But today I'm found. And that's some of you Christians here. You have been lost. 
wandering in the darkness. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying, this is your morning that you're being found again. You're being recentered. But then there may be someone here who's been lost permanently. They just don't recognize it. But this morning, the Holy Spirit is just pushing into you, just saying, I'm fi- I found you. Just respond. Respond. So this morning, I invite all who want to value God's heart, the heart of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, to come and to eat and drink that blood and that body that was shed so that we could be found. Amen. During worship, express it a little bit different. Express it in a way that, that you recognize that I am found. I am no longer lost. And my expression is that, that I am found and now I will go and help seek and rescue that which is lost. So come. Let's eat. Let's repent. And let's be empowered together. Come. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good.